Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire production. production. Hi. Hello, good morning. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Birthing Instincts Podcast. Yay! Liz and I are here, and in a little while, we're going to have a guest, and we'll uh, talk about <clears throat> Dr. Flores in a, in a second, because we're very excited to have her on the podcast today. Yes, we are. Uh, today is March 2nd, which, of course, will probably be March 16th when you're listening to this, because we tend to record a couple weeks in advance, so we can edit out all the errors, because it takes weeks to do that. Stu, <laughs> that's not true. He's pulling your leg. No. <laughs> Why do we do it? Why, why are we ahead of the time? Because sometimes we get called the burst and we don't have enough in the can. So we try to keep some ahead, right? Yeah. And extra times for us to, to review stuff. So we don't feel so, so pressured. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got some bursts I want to talk about, but I'm going to wait till Dr. Flores is on because they Me too. concern her and also her input would be really great. But I have some other stuff. Do you have anything that you want to talk about uh, in life or uh, liberty or the pursuit of happiness? Well, yeah. Don't okay. we always do that? Yes. yes. Let's start. So I, I, uh, this will be the last podcast that I'll record here in Ojai, at least for the time being. I'll be moving on this weekend and um, heading back to slow. Um, Hope is going to get a little work done. And um, I'm gonna drive up and and uh, I rented an Airbnb and I'm gonna see my boys. So I'm so excited to see my boys. Um, seemingly much more excited than they are, but that's fun. And um, my client delivered this past weekend. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, she transferred into care late. Um, she was 38 weeks when we had our first visit. And um, she transferred because she got COVID and um, she was feeling very uncomfortable with the requirements, like potentially having to wear a mask and those kinds of things. Um, so they uh, were leaning towards home birth at, at some point in their pregnancy, but this is kind of the thing that kicked them over the edge and made them decide to switch. Um, and so, you know, of course I came down within her due window, um, we were, you know, she was already having some like back pains that we thought might be some early contractions. And, um, and then she ended up being 41 weeks and still baby hadn't come. So that was really interesting because I started to, um, get to know some of the providers around here and what the backup plan would be. And I was referred to Dr. Salinas <laughs> oh, practitioners, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I got introduced to, um, Dr. Salinas up here who I remembered that you hey. and I had, yeah, you and I had done a, uh, a backup plan with her, with one of our clients who had had, uh, several C-sections and ended up having, unfortunately, um, another C-section cause she just never went into labor. So, I, I, um, yeah, I remember that well, I think she'd had four C-sections, right? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she had a set, set of twins. Um, and uh, so that was great. She was uh, wonderful, very respectful. We went and saw her on Friday and um, did a, um, a biophysical profile with her. And she got a chance to meet the clients and talk about the backup plan. Um, and then um, she attempted to put in a Foley, which I thought was a great idea because she was willing to let us go home with it. Um, and so I, you know, I told my clients, this is, I think this is great. She was 40 one and five days at that point, I had tried to do a sweep a couple of days before and I couldn't even really, you know, like I could get my fingertip way back in the cervix behind the baby's head. So it wasn't successful. Um, but the Foley wouldn't stay in. It kept getting like spit out. And she had said, she said that that had never happened to her before. Is that something that you have encountered before, Stu? Um, One centimeter no, all the way. No, I haven't had a. I've had trouble getting them in sometimes, but when you get them in and you blow them up, and I tend to use the cook catheter, which is a double balloon, but but the foley is very similar. When you blow up the balloon, occasionally I've had to take it out afterwards because it made the mom so uncomfortable that it wasn't something we could continue. But I've never had one. You're saying that she got it in, blew it up, and it fell out. And it kept coming, like getting spit back out. <laughs> like the uterus was like, nope, we're and not far, doing that. She was only one centimeter dilated. She was one centimeter, she said, all the way through. So, yeah. Anyway, so well, that, maybe, that. Maybe she wasn't all the way up inside. Maybe maybe the balloon got started to blow up in the cervical canal instead of way above the cervical canal. I, this is about the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Anyway, she's a very, you know, I don't know. She's probably been practicing as long as you oh, have, she's right? Very skilled. So, she's very skilled. Yeah. This is not a yeah. Thing, right? So anyway, that didn't, that didn't work. And um, so the next day we were going to do castor oil, which reminded me of our last podcast. We were talking about um, your prime up who, um, who was, you know, not very, she wasn't dilated that much. And um, you guys opted not to do castor oil and we did castor oil and 12 hours later, 12 and a half hours later, she had her baby in her arms. So that was awesome. Alex came and joined me because it was nice to have a provide, you know, a practitioner with me that I, um, I knew and trusted um, as I'm getting to know the people around here. So Yay! Hey, congratulations and congratulations Yay. to the family. Uh, speaking of family, yeah, you know me. I hate to, it, I hate to intervene with anything, but we're very happy that she got to have her baby at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Speaking, speaking of, family, of family, I just want to, I want to clear up for some of our listeners who don't know Southern California. When Bliss says she's moving up to Slow, that's uh, San Luis Obispo. Uh, you can look okay. that up on a map because we all know that, but they don't know that. Um, speaking of family, my, my, uh, sister and brother-in-law were in San Diego last weekend and, uh, that's where my daughter Madeline lives. And so I drove down and spent a couple nights down there Friday and Saturday night, got lucky. I didn't have any labor, um, drama up in LA. So I was able to spend some time. It's the first time I'd seen my sister since Thanksgiving of 2019. And yeah, and it was great. Yeah, uh, we had uh, we did a lot of great stuff. And then on Sunday, my daughter uh, works for Red Bull and um, has clients in downtown San Diego. So my daughter took us to brunch on the expense account 
And we walked in and they treated us to one of the best tables in the place. They had uh, rosé colored champagne on the table with a couple of Jägermeister drinks for us all. And it was a great afternoon of, uh, of food and family. And then I went back to Maddie's apartment and I did something very dad-like, which made me feel an accomplishment. I hung blinds in her bedroom. Yes. And she was so excited because she'd had trouble sleeping because it was so bright and her wouldn't do it. So her dad came down and did it. So I felt very, very necessary for at least a moment there. <laughs> I love it. And yeah. I bet she felt good to treat you guys. How fun that was. That sounds great. It was great to see my daughter in her element doing her thing. And Moe, does she know her alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> she does. She knows, she knows everything. She knows like the, the cost of tequila, the best tequila, the best this, the best that. So that's great. Anyway, I wanted to move on because I want we have a couple of things I want to get to before our guest comes on. One of them is a really fun thing that I never expected to happen because I had no idea who she was. But one of Alex's clients um, is a Facebook Live uh, personality. Her name is Cora Dean and mm -hmm. she's at Cora Dean on Instagram or Facebook. And and uh, she came in for a post dates or not post dates, late term testing uh, last Thursday. No, what's today? When, no, it's just Monday, I guess. Yeah. So she wasn't, she wasn't past her due dates or you're changing 40, the- 41 5 on Monday. And she came in for testing mm -hmm. and she did the whole thing on Facebook Live. And I have no idea that she, who she was really. And she's telling me, yeah, we got about 15,000 people watching us now. <laughs> wow. And- during that, you know, I'm explaining things and I'm, and I'm specifically doing it not for the really the Facebook people, but for her and her husband. I'm talking about what we're looking for on the biophysical profile and doing my usual shtick. And I came yeah. in on a day where I worked, wasn't supposed to be in the office. So that I got kudos from her for that. And then she asked the question of me. She said, uh, so Dr. Fishburne, are you single? Mm -hmm. And she took me right off guard with that. And I, yeah, I said, yeah, as of now I'm single. And um, little did I know the floodgates that would open between Instagram <laughs> and Facebook. I mean, I, I had marriage proposals from people in other countries and, uh, and all kinds of stuff that went on. Uh, it, was, it was hilarious. She's a hoot and she's fun <laughs> to watch. She's, a, she's an African, I think, uh, actress, dancer, singer. Um, and uh, so I've been hooked on her now too but oh, fun. it was it was fun and then she later had her baby later that day oh wow great i won't say any more about that people want to it's all live on facebook they can go to watch it watch her birth on facebook so wow anyway do we have any corrections from uh last week's podcast um do we okay no we don't yeah, how that happened okay <laughs> So, hey, one more thing I want to say. Yes, I got to meet doc, Dr. Melissa Drake out here. Yes. We had uh, we had a uh, we had some uh, appetizers and a glass of wine together with one of the local doulas. It was lovely to meet her. She is um, fighting the good fight, very similar to what you did before you uh, decided to do home births. Um, I did invite her to come to a home birth with me and she accepted. So um, we're going to do that probably sometime in April. And um, I did tell her that I would do a little shout out for her. She is looking for a partner. Um, so if there's any, 
any OBGYNs who have a similar passion to what uh, you and I talk about on the podcast all the time and want to move to beautiful Santa Barbara and, and support her in, uh, you know, being able to continue to do what she's doing, um, let us know and we'll connect you. And I did connect her with uh, Nathan Riley. Um, and so they have a lot to talk about as well. So this seems to be the, the, the podcast of amazing OBs doing great work. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about two, we're going to talk about two of them with, again, well, and with Dr. Flores. So that'll be three. We'll be talking yeah. about in a second. Yeah. On that same vein about people looking for help. I got a email from the, uh, the birth center in San Diego and she writes, uh, Allison writes, hello, beautiful community. This is a chance to work with a wonderful team of midwives at a freestanding birth center in San Diego, which by the way, is listed as the most beautiful city in the, in the country. Um, we are growing fast and need to hire a midwife, a CNM or a CPM LM licensed in California to join our beautiful community. If you have any questions, please let us know. We would love to grow in diversity to better serve all clients. Then you talk about the uh, part-time, but this is a beautiful collective of women with common goal of providing evidence-based individual care for each and every client. We go above and beyond without sacrificing our health and family time. You can email her at josie at tourmalinecollective.com or you can call them at 858 900 2004 and then and you can ask for allison so Great. we'll put that in the show notes so yeah doctors that. midwives you know california needs people because like california is losing a lot of people and later today in the podcast we might get to another reason why a lot of practitioners might be leaving uh california um i have a sort of an urgent request and unfortunately this won't get on the air for two weeks but this is from rebecca about uh, in Cincinnati about mothers uh, needing things in Ukraine. So I'm gonna read this out loud. It says, I love your podcast. This is a long shot, but maybe you can help. My husband is Ukrainian, as you can see from the last name. Oh, <laughs> well, you can't see it, but I can see it. Mm -hmm. I, won't try to, I won't even try to pronounce it. Currently, we have a loved one trapped in Ukraine in a village with a formula feeding infant. For the time being, formula can be had, but at huge prices. Our concern is that formula supply will inevitably run out and our sanitation, clean water will not be available. We are trying to do is gather information about best practices of feeding infants with what might be available, maybe in some cases, goat's milk, cow's milk, if people can stay in the villages and or information for moms about how to relactate. Um, I heard your podcast with Christine Loria, which she knows something about infant feeding in war-torn situations. She might very well, I, I don't know. What practices might save the most lives? Obviously breastfeeding, but what about those who can't or aren't? Inevitably, some babies will be lost, I think. If you can make the connection or know another expert who'd be willing to make a video with them, translate it into Ukrainian and start spreading it to mom's cell phones. I want to stress we don't want any money of any kind. It probably wouldn't help anyway, because getting money to people in Ukraine as many regions is not possible and moms can't buy the formula that isn't there. Thanks for all you do. Please continue to remind your moms just how important it is to breastfeed because we never know what will be. Hope you're safe and well. God bless from Rebecca. Wonderful. Reminds me of that um, that image that was going around recently of uh, them nursing on a goat, having a baby nurse on a goat when the mom had passed away. Um, I can't remember her name right now, Stu, but she's a midwife. She delivered twins with you. 
um, really pretty model. Do you remember who I'm talking about? I should. No. <laughs> no. no. Anyways, she the did. Twins was, uh, the twins was a model or the, or the midwife was a model? She used to be a model, a Jacqueline. Jack, Jacqueline. Oh, Jacqueline Aurora, right. Aurora. Yeah, she did um, a whole thing on um, on midwifery in um, those kinds of situations. She would be a really good resource. I went and I don't remember exactly what they talked about for this, but she's got a lot of information. So she'd be a good person to pass that along to. Okay, well, I will send that information on to Rebecca now, but but I'll also put it in the show notes for two weeks from now. Um, I'm not sure if Jacqueline's in Bali still or if she's back in Hawaii or where she is right now, but I'll find her. Okay. 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 Um, a couple things. Here's one uh, from Atlanta. And I just want to read it because of the last sentence in the first paragraph here, which is way too typical, but at least honest. Hello, Dr. Fishbein. I'm a CPM in Atlanta uh, in a solo home birth practice for seven years now. I have worked as a midwife in mission hospitals and birth centers around the world, and I've enjoyed having Dr. Brad Boots Taylor as a physician I could consult with my home birth practice here in Georgia. Since his retirement, which is a whole nother story that he was sort of forced out, um, and then he just decided to live life and get more pleasure out of it. I have found an OB that I have enjoyed collaborating with, but she's never attended a birth outside of the hospital and gets nervous anytime a woman goes past 39 weeks. <laughs> she fully admits she's been, quote, brainwashed by ACOG, unquote, her exact words. Thank you so much for the work you do. I'm an OB, I'm in an OB desert in Georgia. We need you. Okay. So <laughs> honesty is always best. It really is. If you, if you end up lying about something, you're always going to get caught. You're never going to remember who you lied to. You're going to look like an idiot somewhere down the road. So I love her honesty. But, how, but, but we need to have doctors overcome this brainwashing by ACOG. Um, because yes. she, says, she really says, I get nervous anytime a woman goes past 39 weeks. Like, yeah. what's going to happen? Were we having babies dropping dead at 41 weeks all the time? No, we weren't. Mm -hmm. huh. Okay. Um, here's a blunt one from uh, at Birth Education Center on Instagram. Assholes do not belong in birth. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's the mom's actual butthole. I had another um, mom call me last night. She's 15 weeks pregnant. She said, the mom said, quote, I am high risk. My sister had to have an emergency C-section last year because her blood pressure was so high and they, they, they were scared that she was preeclamptic. High blood pressure runs in my family, so I most likely be induced at 36 weeks, unquote. Wow. The prediction level of her doctor, amazing. And now the seed is firmly planted in this delicate, open, now closed-minded pregnant woman. Right. So why would you tell a woman that at 15 weeks? Why would you do that? To prepare them. Aye, yeah. Aye, aye, aye. yeah. Yeah. To prepare them for what you're you're going to be um, trying to get them to do. Yeah, it's just it just it sucks. So we're going to talk about that. But guess who's in the waiting room? 
Dr. Flores. So let's admit her. Yay. All right. Hello, Victoria. Hi, Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Good yeah. morning. Can Hi. You, Bourbon, You're the star. Well, I want to introduce you first. And then okay. I want you, we'll, we'll sort of, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go backwards a little bit. Well, I want to talk about your history and your philosophy, okay. but I also want to talk about your twin, recent twin birth and get your mm -hmm. comments on a couple of things that happened to my twin births over the last week. So yeah, um, yeah it would be great. And then Bliss is going to take it where Bliss takes things, which is always interesting because she does the deep dive. So um, <laughs> Dr. Victoria Flores, yeah. besides being gorgeous, is an obstetrician Aww. that has left the world of hospital medicine and is fulfilling a dream she's had since she was 18 years old. She's delivering babies at home and helping fill a gap in home birth care options in California, boy, is she ever, <laughs> by delivering carefully selected breach and twin moms. You know, you're so much more than that. Uh, you're my colleague now. I, um, we're confidants together. Uh, we've been together now for almost a year, not quite, mm -hmm. I think. And uh, you're going to help me when I take my time off. And we've been to yep. some births together. Um, we've, got a, we've got several more this month that we'll probably end up at. I just wanted to read something that you wrote before I let you, uh, uh, bring you in. You said, I'm very connected to ancient practices and ritual giving meaning and ritual giving meaning to birth, which I feel has been sucked out of childbirth by the white walled, professionalized and controlled form of birth that medicine teaches and expects patients to play into. And couldn't mm -hmm. that be more appropriate for what we just, listen, I just talked about before you came I up. It. Yeah. You know, listen, you could just guess and you probably know what we were talking about. <laughs> so. It sounds like if it was that, yeah, I can't. <laughs> So welcome, welcome to the Dr. Stu's and Blitz's Birthing Instincts podcast. Hi, too. Yeah. Hi. Good to Hi. see you. Good to see you too. Yeah. So it's so funny. I I did this um this little like doula meeting recently before um Stu told me he wanted to bring you on. And mm -hmm. one of the doulas had said, What was it that had you decide? to do home birth and so you know he alluded to it a little bit in in your bio but I would love to hear from you what is this thing that you knew since you were 18 and I would love to know like how you decided to become you know why an OB and not a midwife like you know just yeah. all of that it's interesting okay I'll try and keep it short because obviously that was like 12 years of my life but <laughs> no but, I but okay so the 18 year old Victoria um so I, I've always been someone who's in tune with, like Stu had mentioned, I had written ancient ways. I come from a Chicano background. So connecting to ancient Aztec artwork was a way of life and understanding the way ancient practices occurred. I was given a lot of indigenous influences growing up. My um, family is very Southwestern, Pueblo Indian was where we connected. Um, and so it was just something that I was in tune with and I understood herbs as the earliest form of my medical education. So, you know, in our family, we would treat things with herbs before we did medicine. So it would be teas, it would be salves, it would be rubs, massages, um, you know, even craft if we needed to, prayer, all sorts of different things to get us through um, illnesses, stress, 
um, depression, um, anxieties, things that were just happening in, you know, the everyday world of a girl that seem out of control and that we try to give control to. Um, and so uh, that was where I was coming into college. Um, and then I went to UC Santa Cruz initially. And there I was um, surrounded by other feminist theory um, type of minds that it wasn't the feminism that drew me so much as the appreciation for the beauty that women could bring to their own lives. Um, and so I, you know, did the herbology courses there. I did the reflexology, the massage, um, all of these extra things on top of my basic biology courses. So I didn't know what I wanted to do when I first started college. I was like initially thinking psychology, honestly, it was like the hot thing to do when everyone joined college at my age. It was back in 20, 2004. Um, and then I realized, you know, I really like science. I was liking my bio. I was liking my chemistry and um, I was doing really good in calculus. And I was like, you know what? I never got the opportunity to do these things and I'm good at it. I'm like, I'm going to keep doing something I'm good at. So then I did. And then when I was applying into a transfer to UC Irvine, I got into, you know, a, a bio program, a pre-med program. And then I got into neurobiology. And I guess that when you're a neurobiology major, um, the next thing you do is take the MCAT and apply for med school. So I really was doing one foot in front of the other. Um, and it wasn't um, so like contrived. It just was what was supposed to be for me. Um, and it worked out very well. I went to UC, USC for medical school um, and was able to fulfill this connection to my deep feminine heritage by learning how to do obstetrics. Um, I knew that I wanted to deliver babies. There's this very famous book called um, Bless Me Ultima. I don't know if you've read it before, but Ultima is the name of a village, curandera slash partera. So she delivers babies for the community. Um, and it was such an honored position. And I felt, and she was an old lady, an ancient hag in the most beautiful sense of the word. She um, was someone who was honored, brought into people's homes um, and treated while she waited for them to deliver their babies. And I was like, you know what? Like who needs marriage and a job? I could totally survive off of that lifestyle. You know what I mean? Moving into people's homes for a few months, delivering their babies and moving on out. And that was, you know, my primal primordial view of home birth at the time. Um, and then I, I got to learning more about obstetrics and midwifery. And since I was already on the path towards medicine, I continued in that path without really looking back towards, you know, stopping and going into midwifery, which at this point, I'm really glad happened because I have discovered that midwives cannot do some things that obstetricians are permitted to do in California. And who knows I, if I would have done those Anywhere else, I probably would have just moved to a different state if I was in midwifery alone, but um, I was given, you know, an MD. So now I'm doing them in my environment, which is a balanced lifestyle of home birth doctoring. You know, Bliss, it's time for uh, one of our sponsors, and we're very happy to have them back. And that's the electrolyte drink element, LMNT. It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix that you mix in water and everything you need with nothing you don't. No BS, as we like to say. No BS. It's got uh, lots of salt and no sugar. And That's it's right. formulated to help everyone with their electrolyte needs. And that can be pregnant women. It can be dads. It can be birth workers. workers. Correct. Right. We're on the same page as usual. 
so especially after you've had a long night on call and you've been eating crappy food, you've been up, you know, drinking something to help restore your electrolytes is, uh, is good for all the birth workers that might be listening to us. For a limited time, you can go on to their website and for only the cost of $5 for shipping, uh, you get a free sample pack and that's at drink element. That's drink lmnt.com uh, slash birthing instincts. Thanks element. Go get your pack. Thanks element. Wow. I love it. I didn't, mm-hmm. I actually have met you a couple of times and I didn't even know that about you. So I'm, <laughs> I'm learning along with our listeners um, that, that this is um we're really lucky to have you as a doctor um, doing the things that you do alongside, you know, in addition to Stu, because he's been a solo practitioner for so long. And I know he's been like, we need more people. Right. So it's mm-hmm. so great um, that you give both give women more options. Um, we need to continue to clone you guys. I don't know how to do that, but. You know, and she's a, she's a mixture of, of humility and talent and confidence. And it's hard to, it's hard to put that in a single word, but I knew that from the moment I met her when she told me, and I hope it's okay if I tell this story and if not, we'll edit it out. But um, (laughs) she had just finished like her OB rotation as a chief resident. And I think she had like two, three months left in her residency to, um, I think she was going to do GYN oncology or or some other thing that, and she just said, you know what, I know I'm going to do home birthing. I don't, I don't, I don't need this stuff. And she just basically was at Tufts Medical School, I think, or Tufts Residence, yep, yep. and just said, I'm out of here. I'm going back to California. And okay. so left Boston and came back to California and didn't even, you know, didn't do the waste, waste her time on three months of stuff that she would never use again. And uh, that, I was really impressed by that because that's not, people get in that, that um, you know, hamster wheel and they can never get out of it. And yeah, and it changes you, right? It changes yeah. the way that you look at things when you come through the medical model too, a lot of times. Yeah, I, I was appreciative of how it taught me how to, to think like a scientist because I actually was very not able to do that when I first started. I was, you know, so unaware of the scientific method um, and deduction when I first started long, long ago. But um, so I'm grateful for that education because now I think like that a lot and Ken can attest to that. I, I have a problem getting out of it sometimes, even though that was not my um, intuitive state at the beginning. But yeah, I know I was pissed throughout residency. And I think a lot of people around me at the time could attest to that too, that I just hated having to learn so many things that I was never going to need. And I knew I wanted to do home birth. I, I, you know, it was great knowing these things about women's health care. But um, it was, I wish they had tracked the education because it would have made it so much happier for me to have completed. And I was miserable having to do all those little extra things. Like, Did you find yourself doing procedures and doing things on people which you knew were wrong, but you did them because that oh, yeah. was the policy? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And not only were they policy, it's because my seniors were in charge and really you don't get to think very independently as a junior resident underneath anyone and then when you're a junior attending you also kind of have to pass everything by people and your independence is so postponed that um i couldn't survive in that world i just knew it and now i'm doing things that my senior residents would never let me do or they would take the 
you know, breach birds from me. Um, and my senior and even my attendings would say, no, you can't do that. But look at me, I'm doing them. So they're not they're not so bad that I'm, that people are going to die. Like everyone tells you when you're in your education. Um, and I just never got the opportunity to do that until I was free of them. I, I'm um, not sure it's a yeah. conscious thing, uh, Victoria. I'm not sure it's a conscious thing, but the, but the grooming of, of medical students and residents to follow the medical model um, is such prepares them for what life is like outside. As you said, if you're, and we've talked about this, in many different aspects of medicine, but if you're a physician and you work for an organization and you want to prescribe this medication, but it's not on the formulary, or you want to okay. offer this procedure or this thing, or you want to give somebody, let them go beyond 41 weeks or whatever else. If you're in an organization where there's a hierarchy, like there is in residency, you know, the, the intern subservient to the second year, subservient to the third year, to the chief, chief is subservient to the attendings or the faculty. Sometimes, sometimes not, but um, then, then you end up with, um, you just have to follow along. And so you're groomed through that whole thing. And yet you were able to just plug your nose and yeah. make it through and know that you're doing things. And I, you know, I didn't know at the time when I was a resident, I didn't know what you knew. So I just did the things thinking that it was the right thing to be doing. Um, the inductions, the episiotomies, the lithotomy position, yeah. the, putting the baby in the warmer, all that stuff. I thought that that was just normal. You probably knew from the very beginning that it wasn't. And yet, so residency for me was hard simply because of the hours and the craziness, but it must've been even doubly harder for you because you were doing things that you just absolutely knew were, were counter to me. Right. Because I also have a very um, old fashioned way of thinking physicians should be able to practice, which is do what they want with the art that they have and people help them accomplish that design. And that is, like you said, not allowed nowadays. Now it's, you have to accomplish the design that's been created for you that insurance providers will permit. And it's very, it's different. You don't get to be artistic. You don't get to cleverly boutique medicine individually for people any longer. I can now, but even at the risk that somebody might say, well, that's not in the flow chart. How do you defend what you're doing? You know, so. Yeah. I, I do have a question um, in regards to that because you talked about, you know, how you were raised inside of your family using prayer and and herbology and a lot of these other tradition, you know, what I would consider like traditional medicine, traditional midwifery practices. Um, mm -hmm. How do you integrate that into your practice now? Do you integrate that into your practice? What does that oh, look like? Yeah, I absolutely do. So um, for example, um, gestational diabetic moms that come into my practice um, that their physicians in the OB model are really pushing insulin because that's the only tool that they're given to control sugars. Um, I do treat with mixes of herbs. I powder them down. I put them in capsules and I give, you know, 14 capsules at a time. So I'm controlling the amount that the person is getting. I'm watching their sugar. So I am treating with herbs before I consider other things and not just herbs, it's herbs, exercise, diet, but, um, but yes, I do integrate herbs as well as, um, psych psychology. So I, I make them, I make patients consider what psychological things are going on as well. Um, perhaps aromatherapy to reconnect with the limbic side of their body um, and to, to de-stress, regenerate, and to heal themselves in a more holistic way. So yeah, I absolutely do that. Um, Love with, it. So, with weight loss, with uh, everything, with pretty much everything. 
with nausea and vomiting. I have my own pills for nausea and vomiting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's teaching me some of these things. I get some of this stuff from the midwives. This is obviously not something that I had any uh, background on. I do now, but the collaboration that we have going on right now is such that I'm learning from her and she's learning from me. Even, even just the basics, like how to, how to run a practice, how do I build somebody? I mean, how do I, you know, um, how do I schedule appointment? I mean, all the things that you, that you come out of residency and, and you're expected to get a job working for somebody and you don't have to think about any of that, but now you have, you've got to hire an employee and you've got to have, uh, you've got to pay your overhead. You've got to do your own ordering. And, and so it's fun and you've got to fill out your lab slips and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So this we are teaching a lot. And then also, of course, obviously the skills, uh, Absolutely. you know, you remarkably got some training in your residency in breach. Mm-hmm. I don't know how don't know. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that because a lot of residents yeah. no training in breach anymore. Well, I think I got pretty much the same training that everyone else did, except that I was lucky to be at an institute where there were fellowships um, where they allowed MFMs to deliver after coming breaches. Um, and I was only allowed to be on the sidelines. And obviously with, and I didn't say this before, but I'm very physically aware of the body and its position in space because I was a ballerina for a long time. So um, I learned as my second language, you know, croise, en face, um, a la seconde, atras. I learned all of my positions in space. So it's like a second language to me. So I was able to see fellows delivering babies and they did a great job. I'm not gonna say they did a bad job or anything, but I just saw um, how it could be less traumatic in certain ways, if they would have like moved the body this way, or if they would have pulled the body down, or if they would have, you know, bent the joints in their natural way so that it wasn't stressing the baby. And I did get to um, save a few even cesarean um, extractions because um, it was difficult for whoever was with me at the time to see how the body was going to dance its way out of that hole that we created in the abdomen. Um, And so by being able to do that and see how I was um, correcting certain people in front of me, it gave me the confidence to know that I could do it. And um, when someone came in randomly pushing out a breach, like I was just less afraid to touch the baby and to accept it when the mom had had it coming out. Um, Whereas, you know, so many people were like, ah, push her back in, like, you know, get her on her back and all those types of things. Um, I just kind of, it didn't seem scary to me. And I've told you this before, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I just wasn't scared of it. And a lot of people were very afraid of it. And I did see the situations that you've talked about before in your podcast where women come in with twins, the first twin falls out and they still section for the second twin. And it's just like, what is going on? But yeah, that's what they do. There's nothing wrong with you, actually. Birth is totally normal. It's so everybody else, that's something. Yeah, it's everybody else who's like lost their minds that it that birth is a scary thing. So nothing wrong with you. So your practice is in. Um, I mean, you're, you're you're based out in Riverside County, but you're you're gonna do uh, you're gonna stay locally in Southern California. You're not gonna be as crazy as I was. And go all the way down to the Mexican border up to San Luis Obispo. So, you, but tell us a little bit about how you. I mean, I know that you're covering me for for a while, and so mm-hmm. you're going to be coming mm-hmm. to Calabasas to the office on Thursdays yeah. to to continue to see clients there and do deliveries there. And I will be in and out of town, and hopefully, we'll be at some of them with you. But but how do you, how do you see your practice proceeding over the next five years? Where do you see yourself? Okay. I am very okay with driving 
distances for deliveries at home. I think that home visits is way more difficult for the prenatal care and postpartum care. But, you know, if, if I do it, I do it. And I'm not, I'm not going to hold myself away from that if it comes my way. Like right now, I know me and Stuart are talking to someone maybe down in Fallbrook and that's, you know, a couple hours south of me and I would do that. And I go two to three hours out to LA to do deliveries. I went three to four hours out to do a delivery with Stu up in, um, where were we? And yeah, Camarillo, I can't remember, somewhere over there. Uh, No, Um, uh, uh, Carpinteria. Santa Barbara, Carpinteria. Yes, exactly. So, um, so I've done it and I think I, and it actually isn't so bad on me. I know I haven't gone in as long as Stu for this topic, but, um, right now I'm okay with with traveling in the Southern California region for as needed things. Um, obviously it's not as safe or money-wise for people to hire somebody if they're not gonna be there for three to four hours and you're you know, a multip or <laughs> you're gonna push a baby out in a second. You can just not expect that someone's gonna make it. Um, but um, other than the logistics of it, I am willing to drive. Um, hopefully I, I stay living out here in the San Bernardino, Redlands, Inland Empire, Palm Springs area. It's just beautiful. I love the desert. It's peaceful. There's less traffic. You know, the whole, when you've been in LA for so long, you kind of don't want to be in that all the time type of thing. But um, I still miss it every time I leave it. So I can't imagine myself completely vanishing from that world. Great. Great. And, and um, recently, you did something which probably less than one tenth of one percent of obstetricians in the country will ever do or have ever done. Wow! You wanna, you, you, well, you know what I'm talking about. Do you want to tell? Yeah, us about, I didn't about think that? of it like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I did. Um, so what Stu's mentioning is um, there was a, a twin delivery. It was a home birth delivery. Um, for my patient KP and she had breech breech twins and she labored prolonged prodromal labor it was over three days four days um, poor thing she was just eking those centimeters out um, but she was intact membranes were intact so she had no risk of infection not no risk but you know minimal risk of infection something that I was comfortable with and she was normal so um, we just let her go and then baby A was breech frank breech we let her lay run all fours. She pushed out a physiologic breach delivery, no problem. Um, baby was well, APGARs were nine and nine. Um, and then she remained on all fours as um, baby was brought to her chest. And we assessed baby B to make sure that it was settling into a longitudinal lie and had um, heart tones that were you know, good enough to let her keep laboring. They initially had been. Um, but then uh, the baby started getting getting a little bit more of a prolonged D cell from a baseline of 150 down to 110. And I was like, okay, well, maybe we do position changes. So we did about three or four other positions. And the baby's heart rate just kind of stayed down there. And I didn't know if there was like a minor, minor placental abruption going on or, or something. I, but, you know, I was like, the line could either go down or it can go up. And I only allowed a certain amount of time for that low line to make its decision. And then I decided that we needed to do a breech extraction just to bring out a vigorous baby, um, one that the mom could keep home with her. So um, I had her lay back on her her back. Um, I had her go into lithotomy and I did a full breech extraction with my hand needing to go up above the um, true pelvis, which is the inner bowl of the pelvis, break the bag and grab parts and pull them through. 
And that is almost considered an ancient art nowadays. People just don't do that. And I got to do one at home and it went splendidly and there's nothing wrong. Baby came out. Um, mom did say that it was uncomfortable. And I know that Stu always counsels his patients that that is an uncomfortable moment, um, but it's quick. I would say it was, it felt to me like 10 seconds. We do have it on video so I can count it out, but definitely less than 20. Um, and baby came out with Apgar's eight, nine, 10. So we were very happy with that. And then placenta came out, no postpartum hemorrhage. Yep. Placenta came out pretty fast. So there could have possibly been a abrupting placenta at that point. So it came out really fast, um, like right after the baby. And did you do anything special to, to, uh, pro, uh, proactively prevent a postpartum hemorrhage or did you just, yeah. We did. Um, so um, I had 800 uh, micrograms of Hydrotech. So we put that per rectum. We did massaging, but gentle massaging, not vigorous, deep massaging that, you know, scares everybody. It was just mild um, waves over her belly. But I did do um, lower uterine segment sweeps. I did them three times and got clots out um, three times. And we had in a total estimated blood loss of 1200. Um, I had her have methogen on the side and I think she took one tab of 0.2 milligrams methogen before I left, um, but she didn't need any more after that. And she's been not minimal to scant Loki essence. And no, and no I am Pitocin. We did do one, um, yeah. 10 unit, units. I should have probably done 20. If we could have avoided the methogen. And I think back, but we, we had 10. So we, no IV. we didn't load up the other one. Yeah, no IV. She, we, we um, were thinking about putting an IV, but she declined the IV. So we, um, and she didn't have, um, her vitals were stable. She had a pulse of 110, which I was okay with in her. Her um, blood pressure was 90 over 70 and she was respirating well, saturating normally and she was in bed, so. Yeah, a couple of things about that. I think that the, the tendency for a lot of home birth people is to not be very aggressive about the lower uterine segment, but you and I've had this conversation before and you've been at some twins where, even the Carpinteria twins where, you got to keep you got to keep your eye on that because even though they may not be bleeding much vaginally, if you don't watch their frontal height or don't massage it, the lower uterine segment builds up, and then you milk out 800 cc's of clot, and then you then you're chasing then you're chasing your tail the whole time. So you got to stay right. on top of it. So I think that yeah. that's great. But if people want to understand about what it can be done without a whole lot of fear or anxiety, just rewind this about six minutes and listen to. Uh, Victoria tell her story again, because it, it really is great. And she, you know, and you, and I'm sure you were very calm and people will say, well, you know, yeah. are you calm because you don't know anything or are you calm because you know everything or not, or know enough. And it's I know enough. either of those. It's a trust in the, <laughs> it's a trust in the birth process. It's a trust that nature does it right most of the time. And these are the certain skills that make you Victoria Flores an obstetrician Whereas many of our colleagues, as you've heard me say on the podcast many times, are not. If you don't know the skill of pulling out a second twin, how do you call yourself an obstetrician? And why, why would you ever be taking twins on in your practice as a physician? When at 12 weeks, you know they're twins. If you're not comfortable with twins being malpositioned sometimes, then you should pass that on to somebody who is. So you know what time it is, Bliss? It's time to talk about boobies. Yeah, it's time to talk about one of our good sponsors, Bamboobies. 
who we love dearly. One, we love them because they sponsor us, <laughs> but two, yes. because they have great organic products. Right. And we're not going to have any sponsors that we can't stand behind what they do. So we love them for that. Yeah. I wish we had like a beer sponsor. <laughs> I don't drink beer, but you do. <laughs> no, I know. No, because I, I mean, Bamboobies is great stuff, but it's not products for Dr. Stu, put it that way. It's products yeah. for products for our listeners, but that's products for the bump, breastfeeding and beyond, they like to say. So yeah, it's, you know, they, they they focus really on comfort for moms and both physically and emotionally. And they have great products. I mean, we've we've talked in the past about their nursing pads and nursing bra, and you can mention a little bit about that in a second, but we also talk about um, some of their organic products, including their organic nipple balm, which is 100 percent organic. It's non-toxic. You don't have to wipe it off before you have breastfeed the baby. Um, it makes breastfeeding more comfortable for the mom. And it's got natural ingredients, including extra virgin olive oil, beeswax, shea butter. You know, I love stuff with shea butter in it, too. It's actually really good for you. Yeah. Even if you buy, I do. <laughs> and, uh, there's no lanolin or and it's made in the USA. So tell us a little bit about the, the nursing stuff. Well, they have um, the nursing pads that I've talked to you about that I really love. They're the number one sustainable nursing pad in a wonderful heart shape made with bamboo renewable um, as a renewable source. And the reason they do that heart shape is so that you it's not so visible. Those of you who have worn um, breast pads, nursing pads, you know that <laughs> you can see them through your clothes and it's, it's not cute. So that's the reason for the heart-shaped design and it works so well. And then they've got a really great, um, also made with bamboo, um, stylish racerback nursing bra that can be used in your wardrobe that has a little clasp and you can um, breastfeed wherever you're at. So check them out. They're great. They're great for the environment. They're great for mamas. And um, tell them about the discount codes too. Yeah, they go if you go to bamboobies.com and you put in the code instincts, that's I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S, you get 25% uh, off your purchase. And so we would hope that you'll support them. Um, we are going to encourage them to come out with a organic beer. And uh, then I'll be really encouraging you to uh, support them. No, it's <laughs> support them because they support us and they make the, the um, possibility of our podcast um, go. And making great products. So thanks, Bamboobies. Thanks, Bamboobies. Yeah, um, I was just talking yesterday to Maria King, and we were talking about um, how a breech birth at her hospital was occurring. Someone came come in, came in on all fours, pushing out a breech, and the first thing the physician said was, "Get on your back." And we were just like, "No, don't do that." And um, eventually, she was able to shoo that obstetrician away. The obstetrician put the person on all fours, and then um, they pushed their baby out um, without any complications and, and with your shoulder scrunch and a chin tuck. That was it. So um, I definitely agree, concur with you 100% that I don't understand how the name obstetrician can mean obstetrician, unless there's just a different name for someone like you and me, Stu, that we need to, you know, create our own certification and start getting people to join our club. I, maybe we need an accrediting body for us. <laughs> well, yeah. Wait till you feel the rest of the rest of the podcast that you're going to hear some things that might, we, we might need a new accrediting body. So 
I do have some other things I'd like to talk about that with Bliss um, that we would normally talk about, but with you as an expert on the on the panel today, let's let's yeah. talk about them. Okay. So, okay, but can I yeah. before you move on, Stu? Can I just Victoria? I just want to challenge you, and yeah. I don't usually challenge our guests, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit in your language because there were a yes. couple times. There were a couple times when you told your story where you talked about allowing, we allowed. We've we, talked you know. about that. That is yeah. me being re-educated a hundred yeah. million percent. Yes, I yeah. know that. I, I'll re-listen to it and I'll find my allowed. <laughs> but yes, I do know that. Yeah. I do. Thank you for telling me. Thank I know you. you know. And I just <laughs> wanted to say again, because you have so many great qualities and it is a relearning process, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but I would, yeah. Thank you Are for letting me. We talk Say about that. this in the office too. We catch yeah, we do. The office sometimes too, and then I like I like I told you that I got caught last year by asking people if they have other medical problems, mm. as opposed to and, and the woman said to me, "What's the first? Because she came in for a pregnancy consult, and so you and I think of the pregnancy as as the first problem. That's the way we're trained, and we have to yeah, break the that training. Bliss is absolutely right. Just like we have and to. Yeah, just like the word provider, we have to get exactly. the word allowed. Right. Yeah, and and yeah. we like to call them clients, not patients. And they are yeah. delivering, we're not delivering. So all of those, all of those words matter in terms of how the woman is feeling about the experience too, because right. she's the one in power and we're the ones supporting her. So definitely. Um yeah. it's funny because even like on our our paperwork to the state they still say pay patients on there. So I think that just yep. reading it over, it's still supported in my mind, that education. So it's just, yep. it's just a little bit more attention to that change, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm getting yep. there for sure. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, okay, Stu, what do you want to do? We don't want to get into the forms that the state uses because they're getting crazy. No. Like we have parent who gives birth and parent not giving birth. Mm -hmm. uh, can't say <laughs> mother or father. Um, okay. So, um, Somewhere along the line here, our, our trusted producers are going to stick in a commercial, but I don't, hopefully they don't do it right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I had two sets of twins this past week and both of them ended up getting transferred out of care. Yeah. So again, just for our listeners, transfer out of care means that they didn't go into labor. They were transferred prior to labor. A transport from home is a transport in labor. A transfer of care or a TOC is we, we, how I abbreviate it, is for somebody who develops an issue that requires more than we can offer them at home. And I just wanted to go through two of them. Um, one was, uh, both were die-die twins. Uh, one was at 37 weeks and six days. And she'd had mild cholestasis for about two weeks. And we did a serum bile acids on her and it was about 15 with 10 being sort of the upper limit of normal but really no real risk to the fetus unless you get over a hundred. So when a lot of our clients will be told they have cholestasis, they need to be induced immediately. I just want people to understand that that is misinformation, if anything else, it's just not true. Um, if it's the only thing that's going on and you have a bile salt that comes back at 27 or something like that, you know, unless you're past due and are being going crazy with itching or something like that, there's really no reason that you can't continue to wait. Um, she also developed gestational hypertension. Listen, I did a whole podcast on that. So in the second, third trimester, her blood pressure started to creep up and they started to run 130s to 160 over 78 to 100. It depends. It was varying during the day. She would take them at home 
a lot of times in the in the evening she would take them and they would be high at home and then she'd take them in the morning and they'd be back to 130 over 78 or 130 over 80. So what I suggested to her, which she which she initially couldn't understand why I was saying is I said, don't take your blood pressures at night anymore. All right, because we're not going to do anything and it's going to make you restless and not sleep well. If your blood pressure is fine in the morning and it's fine every morning, that it's then you're not, you don't have malignant hypertension or something really bad. So why are we checking that constantly? You know, you don't need to check your blood pressure five times a day if you're if you're being monitored for that. So anyway, so but her blood pressure began creeping up. And then the last time she came into the office, she had like three plus pitting edema going all the way up her leg and she started to have two plus protein in her urine. And she reported that she'd had a headache for about two or three days. Um, might have been the winds in the air here in California. We said some weather changes, but you don't know. So we sent off a chem panel. It was completely normal. Her liver tests were normal. Creatinine was normal. Her plate account was normal. But we just decided at this point to, and her first baby, by the way, was breech. So at this point, we decided, well, what are our options? Our options are anyone else is going to section her except for Barry Brock. So we called Barry Brock and Barry Brock was willing to take her and induce her labor. And he did so and he induced her in a, you know, over a day or so. Um, she got near to complete, but she, her labor finally arrested and she gave birth vag uh, by cesarean section. And the babies were 5'12 and 6'10 and she did great. She never required MAG and she never required any other medication. Her labs didn't change, but it was a, a collaboration of the idea that maybe this isn't the best thing to continue to do at home because we didn't know when she was gonna go into labor and she seemed to be getting worse. And as you know, preeclampsia or you know, never goes away. It just always sort of either plateaus or keeps getting worse. My question is, Stu, did you, did you guys do any like lifestyle changes, any herbology, any acupuncture, any, anything? All, all those things, right. You did, okay. Yeah, all those things. We, I mean, the midwives on the team, we had her, we had her on all kinds of calm tea and um, uh, High protein, she was doing all, yeah, she was doing that all. We had about two or three midwives with her. And so it was, a, it was, again, it was a uh, informed decision-making, shared decision-making, and they were, they were very, very happy with their outcome. They went home today or yesterday. We're going to go, as soon as we're done recording today, the team, we're going over there to see the babies for the first time. We're very excited okay. to go visit okay. them. The other, the other one was um, also twins, um, 37 and 5 sevenths weeks, who the mother had a vaginal septum, which is not really a, necessarily a problem, but it came into play toward the end because what happened was is baby B, oh, excuse me, baby A um, was always coming down with either the butt, the foot. Sometimes you'd scan and there'd be a bag of waters with nothing in it before you got to baby B. So one of the criteria that I use, and I think Victoria uses too, and she mentioned it when she was talking about her twins, is to see if the baby would be in, a, in what's called a stable longitudinal lie. And baby A was never in a stable longitudinal lie. And we kept waiting because we kept hoping that at some point it's gonna, it's gonna uh, settle down into that situation, but it never did. And so at, at this point we decided that um, we would have her go see our other great hero in Los Angeles, Paul Crane. And I, I met, we met at the Paul Crane's office, we did a scan and the baby was breech. Uh, for a little while during the scan, and right during the scan, the baby put its foot down and lifted its butt right out of the pelvis, and its foot was down, and that was all that was down. 
And so the baby gave us enough information to think that this is not meeting the criteria that we use, that Victoria and I use to determine who are good candidates for home twin delivery. But also because the baby was an unstable lie, she wasn't really a good candidate to be induced. And then there was this question of the septum, which actually, as she got more pregnant, got fairly thick and vascular. And you, for our for our um, non-clinical listeners, for our for our pregnant families, can you tell them uh, what that is so they oh, understand? It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's just a, an, an anomaly of embryology where the vagina. Th this was an incomplete septum, by the way. It came. It was right at the introitus, and it went up about three inches. That you could get your finger around it and come around the other side. So it didn't go all the way to the cervix. It, it's a real odd variation, but there are many different variations. They go all the way from a, from a mild uterine um, septum at the top of the uterus, all the way to something called uterus didelphus, where a woman has two uteruses and two cervixes and a, and a vagina with a septum right down the middle, all the way to the outside. Nature is really cool because it does really yeah. weird things. And so, <laughs> but most of the time when you have a septum, the baby will push right past that. It's not a problem. Sometimes I've had them in labor where they actually have torn and they tend yeah. like everything else when they tear in labor, they tend to be very vascular. Yeah. Amazing blood supply. And mm -hmm. so that's not something I was really comfortable doing at home with a breach that was uncertain to stay a breach. And so she went in and had a C-section yesterday. Mm -hmm. Two things happened at the hospital. One is because she had um, Samaritan insurance, which is it pays 100%, but they have to pay up front and then they submit the bills and they get reimbursed. And the cash price for the hospital was $18,000 and the cash price for the doctor was quite a bit too. And they didn't have the money and they were, and the, and the mother got real upset. And I just said to the father, I said, just go to the hospital. They cannot turn you away. Right. And they did and they got in and, I, and they paid part of it. Um, and we helped out with the other doctor, who uh, Dr. Crane's fee. We took care of that. Um, because I will be giving her some refund for what she paid me because I don't, I always do that when um, people come into my care. If they don't go into labor, I offer them a, a refund of some of the money. If they go into labor, there's no refund, but I don't, so that that's going to help. But, but then what happened afterwards, the babies were beautiful. They were seven pounds, two and seven pounds, 10. Okay. Can you believe that? This mm -hmm. tiny little woman. Um, but then I, I talked to the husband this morning. They said the babies are in the NICU. So ask me why they're in the NICU. Why are they in the NICU? <laughs> Thank you. I knew one of you. Because apparently, and again, I only know what he told me, and I only know one side story. But he said because their O2 stats were only 90 and not 94. Ridiculous. Thank you, Bliss. <laughs> okay. So they obviously have a policy. Remember the one size fits all algorithm policy. We talked about it last week with the bilirubin. Uh, yeah. We wanted to admit the baby to the nursery for a bilirubin of nine when in a normal term baby, that's actually in the normal range, but that's higher than what they like. And again, everything that they do, maybe they fool themselves into believing it's because of safety, but everything that doesn't have, that they use for safety happens to have a charge that they can ring up. And so they took two babies away from their parents with O2 sats in the night. Now, I don't know if they were breathing too rapidly. I don't know if there was anything else issue, but the husband said um, that he thought that they had a quick trigger. That's the husband's word. So yep. 
And yeah. I think he's very savvy. So I think he knew because we had talked about all this stuff. And and as of this morning, they're still separated from mom. But mom got to go upstairs to breastfeed. So if the babies can come off and breastfeed, why can't they just be in the room and breastfeed um, and skin to skin in bed? And by the way, one of the things that uh, happens when babies have O2 sats of 90, if they're skin to skin with mother, all right, you're going to see their temperature more regulated, their blood sugar more regulated, their breathing more regulated, and they're probably going to be perfectly fine and increase their O2 stat over time. And if it's 90 and the baby looks great, why, are we, why do we have a continuous pulse ox on the baby? Why are we doing that? It's like, why are we checking every baby for bilirubin at, at this hospital? Not and not acknowledging, you know, what the benefit is for mom and baby to be together as well. Right. Like right. not even having that as be part of the equation. The fact it's that this not. mom who had a C-section has now got to get up out of bed and go sit in a chair in a NICU unit is just, you know, it's just totally counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. And and that's because we've introduced so many meters into the mix you know when like Stu says when we were doing things by eyes and touch and sound only I'm sure that a lot more babies got to stay with their mommies so we have all these high-tech equipment yeah second guess our eyes and second guess our our hands yeah and intuition and all of that mm -hmm. no we may again we may have missed something but I don't think so because I think the father would have told me it, that there'd been another reason and if there was another reason and the father didn't know well, that's unacceptable too. Exactly. The hospital should be giving them informed consent. This is why we're going to the nursery because the exactly. OTA yeah. is only 90. Well, what's wrong with 90? Remember, by the way, babies have fetal hemoglobin. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So a 90 sat in a baby is like 99 in you yeah. and me. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's still it, it grips oxygen. It's not a problem. You have to look at the whole baby. That's what I always say. You have to look at the whole baby. Don't look at just one thing. How's how are the babies doing in general? You know, are they nursing? Are they are they eliminating well? Like how how's everything going? Not just one number. And you know, once the babies go to the NICU, okay, we've talked about yep, baby jail. Yeah, then they have protocols before they'll release them from the NICU. Yep. Right. It takes forever. Okay. Do you have anything else specifically for Victoria? Because I want Victoria to hear this next segment. I do have something specific for Victoria. Um, so as a, as a midwife, we often say that one of the final things of our training is when we get to become mothers ourselves. And I, you had a baby. I did. I yeah. was blessed to have a little girl. Her name is Ishelle Ashwarya. Ishal is the goddess of midwifery and Ashwarya means prosperity in Sanskrit. Um, yeah, and her dad is East Indian. So he got Ashwarya and um, Ishal is Mayan. So I got the um, indigenous Hispanic Latino root version of her name. <laughs> so what was that experience like for you? You know, learning all this stuff about being pregnant and delivering and, you know, what was it like to actually have that experience yourself? What did you yeah, learn? I learned uh, an infinite number of things. And honestly, I'm still learning from it every time I interact with my mommies. Um, but in a nutshell, um, I had a very interesting pregnancy. I got gestational diabetes um, and I had a transfer in labor. So I got to experience um, two difficult things that home birth mommies and 
um, midwife care mommies kind of fear, but I went through it myself um, and was able to understand it and cope. And um, I've, I've, I'm able to help patient and uh, clients better. <laughs> I agree. Good. I agree. Good. I think that if we, um, if we only have the, like the butter births as providers, then we don't necessarily um, understand always, you know, yeah. what, what it's like for a woman to have to go through some of those experiences and the disappointments and the, you know, all of that. So, well, congratulations. Mm -hmm. you know, on your we, yeah. we as practitioners, including, you know, your practitioner, um, you know, we, we experience disappointment too. I mean, I'm probably in some ways for those two twin moms that we just talked about, I feel like I'm almost as, I don't know, I can't say I'm more or less disappointed, but I'm really disappointed that I could not get them the birth that they were envisioning. And yeah. they got the birth that they needed and the birth that their babies dictated, but it wasn't the birth that they were envisioning. And part of what we do as, and, and, and Bliss is very magical at this, is creating this environment to give them this, I mean, it is one of the most memorable moments of a woman's life and a family's life. And we want them to be memorable. We want them to have good memories. And most women do not um, necessarily right. have good memories of the process of which they gave birth. Right. They all love their babies, but the process by which they got there. And so, yeah. So you, uh, do you think that your, your midwife was disappointed you had to go or? Well, um, it, my midwife is, is really close to me. She's a great friend of mine right now. Um, Celeste Winfrey of Ivy Midwifery. Yeah, she's great. Um, yeah. I think that, so I had a very prodromal labor, just like KP, my my client that I had just delivered twins from. I, I labored one week, another week, and another week until I finally went into full-blown labor. And I was dilating each step of the way. It wasn't um, it wasn't ineffective contractions. They were actually causing cervical change. Um, and so I, I think I started at five centimeters when I went into my ultimate phase of labor. And interestingly, I had a leap when I was 23. So, um, and this was back in the day when they did this type of thing that would never happen nowadays, but there, there was a tight band that needed to be released. And so when I was in the hospital, I got that release um, and I popped open to like eight to nine pretty fast right after I got that release. But in regards, just, just cervical massage, just, you know, rubbing out the scar. Um, but Celeste actually had just gone off of, I think, two deliveries that day or that week or something. So she was exhausted. So when I finally went into labor, she had just started my induction because I was 40 and three by the time, no, 41 and three. I was 41 and three. So she was starting to give me cotton root. Um, and we were working with black cohosh, blue cohosh. Um, and I had just tasted it because I wanted to see what it tasted like. Like as she was giving it to me at about 6 p.m., I tasted it. And then she left all the way back home because I was out in the desert, Cathedral City. And then at nine o'clock, I started contracting. And then she had to come all the way back and she was out in Pomona. So it was a very far drive for her to take twice in one night, um, three times because she had to end up going back after my transfer. Um, so I, I mean, I'm sure she wasn't happy that I transferred, but I, I think that it was a long night for her. So I, I think she got a little bit of rest. <laughs> I, that's great. I have a, I have one question about what you said. You said that these these prodromal labor contractions were were not wasted. They were productive contractions. They were changing your cervix. So I got to ask you the question: How do you know that? How do I know? <laughs> yeah. Were you checking yourself? 
I couldn't. I tried. I because you know I was like you know I tried. Of course, of course I did. I wanted to try and getting around a belly behind your bum on your side like that thing is way up in posterior. It is impossible to get to. But my husband is an ER doctor and he um, checked me. So he had you know gone through OB rotations in med school and for residency. He's been around the block. So and he does you know exams when people coming in labor to an ER. Um, and so I, I trusted him and he did really well. And it was really important for me to feel what it was like to be checked by, you know, a man. It's different than, you know, a sexual experience. It's, it's a check. It's, it's very objective um, and it can be very intimidating and, you know, don't touch their sensitive fingernails, all those types of things. And it, it definitely made it easier for me to comprehend what a woman's going through when I, I check them when it's their request. Yeah. Right. And in your and your medical brain, you probably would just you have this medical curiosity. You really wanted to know what's going on. Oh yeah. You know that. Our world would probably try to discourage that many vaginal exams, but but you know, during but you know, it was an opportunity for me to really understand everything that was possible for me in labor. So like I was scanning myself as needed to see how things were. I did my own NSTs on my own machine, so I saw that they were accurate in alignment with my ultrasound and alignment with my Dopplers. I wanted to like standardize all my equipment on my own body. <laughs> and then um, I, you know, I did the checks. Um, I, I wanted to know what it felt like. So I got that experience. I also tried pain control methods that were alternative as well as medical to see what that, what that would do to me. Um, I would text Stu and tell him about some of those moments. Um, but I, I, I figured out what worked, what didn't work. CBD does not work. So <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a fun adventure for me. <laughs> oh, you know, that reminds me. Um, I got called last week to come and do a vacuum down in uh, San Clemente. And I went down there and the woman was a CrossFit person and really, really tight. And, and um Ended up having to do forceps on her, got a fourth degree. We might've talked about this last week, but I can't remember mm-hmm. if we did or not, but was able to repair it. Stopped by on the way back from San Diego from visiting my, my family in San Diego, stopped at her house. It was about nine days, I think, postpartum. And um, she's doing great. Uh, all, all her bottom functions are working fine, but their business is CBD. So mm-hmm. they gave me some CBD stuff because you know I'm having these back issues and stuff like that. It actually, it's the first thing that I've ever put on. Now, it, it maybe partly is because of the, the gate theory of pain. I put it on and it, it feels like Bengay. It like it burns and cools or the same time. Mm-hmm. So my brain gets distracted, but it is giving me some relief. So. Oh, good. Yeah. But you're That's saying great. it didn't work for uh, labor. For labor contractions, right, exactly. But one thing that I wish I would have tried is just like what you were saying, the distraction method is the um, dermal injections of water over the sacrum. That would have been something that I, I could have tried. Next pregnancy, that's what I'm gonna do. So <laughs> I, I, I just like to have the experience to speak from when I make a recommendation to yeah, someone like, will you be able to sleep through contractions with 50 of Benadryl? I was able to for a few, you know, like those types of things. And um, it's not scientific, it's, you know, anecdotal, but I think that my clients really like to know that their provider, practitioner has been a part of, um, you know, the same experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, welcome to the club. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, speaking of of the club, I had a lot more to go through, but we're running out of time. So I just want to go over this one thing with you. 
And I would put it in the ongoing medical tyranny section of our podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> we don't really have one, but um, we should. <laughs> but, but it affects you. So I want you to hear about it. So California is weighing punishing doctors for challenging contemporary scientific consensus on COVID. And this was uh, this came out uh, just this past week. It's Assembly Bill uh, 2098. I don't know if you've heard about it, mm -mm. Victoria. No, okay. no, I haven't. So disagreement with contemporary scientific consensus on COVID-19 issues could be deemed unprofessional conduct for California doctors. I hate that word. Democratic, of course, it's Democrat in California. Assemblyman Evan Lowe. Um, proposed a bill which goes beyond regulating how California doctors can treat their own patients. It opens their statements about COVID, public or private, to review by the Medical Board of California and the Osteopathic Medical Board of California with possible sanctions to follow. Existing law requires the applicable board to take action against any licensed physician and surgeon who is charged with unprofessional conduct, according to the Legislative Council summary. And the bill would designate the dissemination of promotion of misinformation or disinformation about COVID as unprofessional conduct without specifying what's prohibited. <gasps> That's terrible because what if I want blue hair? That's unprofessional. They're going to take away my license for that. Was that, that that's an opinion. No, the point is that they're using such broad language that it's destructive. It can really be used in any way they want. Well, what they what they consider disinformation over the last year or two now is now considered information. So yeah, exactly. They took, they took away my license last year, and then went pretty right. long. Do I get reparations? Do I do I get reinstated? You know, do you understand no. how how tyrannical and stupid this stuff is? All right. Yes, so it says. Yes, yes. Um, they said um, they're using outdated and questionable data because they're using data from the Center for Disease Control showing that unvaccinated individuals are at a higher risk of dying than vaccinated individuals, but that was with Delta, which right. hasn't been around in months, all right? Right, so, yeah, right. They're, they're just using data that they're selecting, which doesn't even relate to real So who's doing the misinformation? Um, who should have their licenses <laughs> sanctioned? Maybe it should be these people. Um, it says Assembly Bill 2098 is primarily concerned with the statements about safety and efficacy. And you know what I say about people who use safety as their, as their thing. Of COVID vaccines, it's written so vaguely, it could ban dissemination of ongoing scientific research. It's just like ampicillin for GBS and stuff like that. You know, it's safe. And you're like, oh my goodness, but what is its dangers? You know, it's the same. It's just another word that can be misused in a million ways to take advantage of anyone they want. Yeah, safety is a canard for uh, tyranny. That's what it is. It's always used to, in, to control people. So lastly, the California bill specifies unprofessional conduct as promoting false or misleading information about the natures and risks of the novel coronavirus, its prevention and treatment, as well as the development, safety, and efficacy of the vaccines. So if you be honest about the vaccines, but it's negative toward the vaccines, then you are disseminating disinformation and therefore you can have your license suspended, even though you're telling the truth. Right. This is how twisted this is. All right. Medical board shall consider four factors, the, but the bill text doesn't say all must be confirmed. They will examine whether the doctor deviated from the applicable standard of care. Okay. Now, Bliss and I have talked about this on the podcast before. The term standard of care is a real can of worms. 
it's another one like safety or professionalism. It can really just scoop people up into a whirlwind of untruth. Yeah. You know, standard of care can be, well, what's standard in your practice? What's right. standard in your hospital? What's standard in your community? What's standard in your country? What's standard in right. the And you can pick whichever standard of care you're violating and then say you're violating the standard of care. Okay. Yeah. Um, they also say they will judge whether the result was an individual declining opportunities for COVID-19 prevention or treatment that was not justified by the individual's medical history or condition. In other words, I think that if you counsel somebody to not get the vaccine, but the medical board determines that they probably should have gotten the vaccine, then you're doing unprofessional conduct. By the way, they say, then they will judge. And, and I, I wrote down, I circled like, well, who is they? Right. So we should do an investigation as to sits, who sits on these boards. I think that list down the road, one of the things I got to do is a podcast, take the names of the people on the California Medical Board and look at their background, because these are all political appointees. And some of them have no necessary background in, in, in community health or common sense. All right. And then they, they said also something that was contemporary scientific consensus. Well, is there any consensus? So and it's evolving. what are these, uh, I won't even have to take, I could keep going on, but all I want to say is that what is with these lawmakers? What is with these people? All right. You don't have to go to Sacramento and make laws. You could go to Sacramento and clean up the streets or volunteer something or do that, but you have to make laws to institutionalize your opinions and, or your, your narratives. And this yeah. is not America, this is not the country we grew up in. And we've seen it in our profession. You talked about it during your residency time, how you know you yeah. don't speak up as a junior, you don't tell your senior what to do. Right. Even if they're making a complete mistake. I remember one time a person had a um, loop biopsy of their cervix and that piece fell apart. And because they whoever wrote the path report said that it it was not an intact piece the senior residents thought, oh, well, then it didn't get everything. And then they find that person up for a cone instead of just being like, well, let's just see what happens. A cone biopsy is much more invasive. Much more. And perhaps we did get it and it just fell apart. Like maybe you just need to wait, but no, onward, more surgery. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and that's a, like, um, that's a very specific example, but this goes on every single everything. day. Sort of yeah, everything. Suppress yeah. Our ability to speak. Now, I don't know where that's coming from because Bliss and I have been able to speak freely this whole time, right? Knock on, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I I, I never I, like to I never like to like you know toot the horn too loudly, and the universe comes and gives you a smackdown. You know, so far so good. Yes, do. Well, that's because you and I are yin and yang. Because I I'm I'm the one that likes to speak loudly, and I and because I feel like everything that I'm speaking is, is is truth as far as I know. And I'm not gonna say it's evidence-based because I hate the term evidence-based because evidence-based has been corrupted now too. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. You, I can't agree. Trust, yeah. you can't trust anything in a medical journal anymore. Not one yeah. thing. We talked about this when, when I brought it up on the podcast where, where we talked about the Hawaiian study where the authors report no conflict of interest yet one of the authors is trying to get a law passed to ban midwives. Uh, and she's an author on the study that shows home birth is bad. It's like, Jesus. So anyway, I just want, you know, Victoria, this is California. 
welcome. Yep. <laughs> well, I've been here, born and raised, probably going to die here and be buried. So, <laughs> no, for the for the women of Southern California to have you, yes, you're really lucky. And the rest of the country is going shit. How come? <laughs> how come they got two and we have zero? <laughs> That's what. I don't know. But I've been it's... praying for you for a really long it's time. True. Right. True. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a dream come true. I'm just you are, you are answered prayers. Yeah, I'm happy that I can I can help. And honestly, Sue is such you know a beautiful soul. First of all, he and you both are. But when I met him, I've just been moved to tears many times in my privacy. Just he's been so supportive of women, and I think a lot of you know men get bad flack for being OBGYNs and he's a soft one you guys and girls like he's <laughs> definitely he's amazing he's amazing yeah and he's single no it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah not for a long yeah, you missed that part long. you missed that part I was on the uh, live and, and I and I got I got outed marriage proposals from Africa <laughs> a lot of them wow a lot of them. Congrats. Uh, tell I'll, tell you, the I'll tell you about it when I see you on Thursday. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. anything else you want to add, uh, Bliss, Victoria? I just want to say thank you, Stu. Thank you, Bliss, for giving me an opportunity to share my gratitude for my unique position of not having to work within a system that would prevent me from helping women and a system that says that we're helping women. And really, if they were to stop me or Stu or Bliss, you know, from doing what we do, that's not helping women. We actually get them some amazing results and outcomes that are just not possible in the medical system. And I'm just really happy that I'm a part of this group of people now. And I'm learning about, you know, the, the midwifery model and it's, it's been so enriching and just, I'm just full of gratitude. Thank you. It's been lovely to be on today with you and to talk to you and to and to uh, introduce you to our listeners and to get to know you a little bit better. So thank you for joining us. And if people want to find you on say mm -hmm. your social media, how do they do that? Yeah. So on Instagram, I go by Victoria underscore MD underscore birthing. Um, I do have a website that's called homebirthintuition.com. You can contact me through there. Uh, my email is info at homebirthintuition.com. But for the next year, you can also make appointments to see me at Birthing Instincts. I will be there every Thursday um, for a year. And um, that's it. Call, call Chrissy. Stu knows the number by heart. I don't. But um, make appointments <laughs> there and you will see me or Dr. Stu or both of us. Great. Great. Yay. Thanks, Thanks Victoria. You're welcome. Bye, Bye guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Hey, that was great. Was that the end? No, we're still talking. Oh. <laughs> I, I, we're still recording. That's pretty funny. <laughs> no, I just wanted to tell, I just wanted to chat behind Victoria's back a little bit and tell you how, how when she first came, I thought she was a little bit, uh, I didn't really understand her well. I didn't understand her alpha, alpha Latina personality and now I really have great respect for her so it just tells you that the, you know you don't necessarily judge people immediately yeah yeah and it was great it was great for me to learn a little bit more about her history so thanks for having her on and I'm so happy for you that you 
are able to take some time away and know that your clients are in good hands and um, you can have the freedom to really explore what's next for you. It's an exciting time. It's exciting. We'll be talking about that as the month goes. We'll, we'll bring that up. I'll give, I'll have more focus about what I'm going to be doing, but it's still sort of out of focus, but we are booking a lot yeah. of breach seminars and people want are interested in looking for those they can go to the events page on the birthinginstincts.com website. Uh, so for uh, for Victoria Flores, MD, and Bliss and me, uh, this has been another episode of the Birthing Instincts podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.